This is Friday Night Frights, brought to you by Starburst Magazine. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Frights, the weekly horror podcast from Starburst Magazine. I'm John Tolson and tonight's guest is Zombie Flesh Eaters star Ian McCulloch. This Monday, 3rd of December, sees the Arrow video release of Lucio Fulci's classic Zombie Flesh Eaters on Blu-ray and DVD. In its full uncut version, digitally remastered and restored from the original Technoscope negative. To mark the occasion, I spoke to star Ian McCulloch about working with Fulci, his memories of the filming and his thoughts on the film's notoriety as a video nasty. As you probably know, it came out a year ago in America. Um, and I went over there last uh, November because uh, Bill Lustig, who, who did all the work, had all the work done on it, um, had it released and shown in a hundred cinemas on Halloween or something. So, I mean, I knew it was available. I was just a bit surprised that it took a year for it to come out here in the UK. Well, I only just found out yesterday that it had been released in America a year ago, so I'm a little yeah. bit surprised as well. Something to do probably with the distribution companies. Well, I, yeah, I don't know how they work that out. But it, the, the, the version they've got in the States is, uh, I mean, it's region, it, you know, it fits every region in the world. So I, I'm, and when I've done conventions here, I did one at Birmingham earlier this year. I mean, quite a lot of people have got it you know, via the Internet. I mean, the American version of it, which is, it's just got sort of different... Um, sort of interviews and things on it. Well, it's a film that's got a, a huge cult status, isn't it? I think people would be surprised at just how uh, how large the uh, the following is. But w- when did you first become aware of the uh, the sheer sort of fandom of the film? Um, I suppose when I did the, the, the interview for the 25th anniversary edition. I mean, I, I, I think I thought it was just sort of died at death. I mean, I knew it had a notoriety when it was on the video nasty list, but um, I, I think I thought it had you know, just gone to bed and that was the end of it. And then I said I got a phone call saying what I do is the interview because they were doing a 25th version, and then I think they did another version after that. And then uh, I was told that there was a huge amount of interest in America, so I started going over there con- for conventions. Um, and it was over there that I actually saw what, what the following was like. I mean, it was huge over there. Um, then I've done a couple of conventions here and in Germany. Um, although I think Doctor Who is probably more, <laughs> more popular, um, obviously, here than, than Zombie Flesh Eaters. But it, it, I, you know, a, it is amazing the size of the following, and I'm, I, it's also you know about three different generations of people as well because you know young, old, uh, I mean, seem to be fans of it. It's, it's certainly a film that seems to be being rediscovered all the time, isn't it? But you, you've already mentioned the video nasty sort of furore, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's such an important sort of cultural event, really, in. in British history um, but for, for those listeners who don't know anything about it the film was originally uh, released on video uh, in Britain in about 1981 in a sort of un, uncut uncertificated version 
um, and then subsequently became labelled as obscene and um, prosecuted by the director of public prosecutions as as one of thirty nine titles labelled as a the so called video nasty. But Ian, I just wondered what how did how did you feel about that at the time it happened, and 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 what do you make of it now looking back? Well, I I hadn't seen the film at the time, and my wife had left after five minutes in the cinema. So, I mean, I knew it was a pretty sort of gory film and not my cup of tea, but I thought if people didn't want to watch something like that, they wouldn't, you know, pay, pay money, buy a ticket and go and see it in the cinema. Um, when it came out on video, I... I don't know whether your sort of time sequence is exactly right. I mean, did it come out and then it was banned, or was it not banned before it came out? It, well, it came out as an uncut version in 1981, and this was before videos were actually okay. needed to be uh, given certificates by the... Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just that the film was sort of pretty heavily cut, uh, you know, when it was released here as well, by the BFI or whatever. Um well, when it when it came out as a the video nasty, I mean, I suppose I, I found it rather funny because I say I couldn't imagine, you know, that, that that it would have much effect on an audience watching it, other than you know either make them leave the cinema or or enjoy it, which is you know what people like to be frightened and so on. So I was astonished by it. I've, I've also also always said that um, I've been three banned video nasties, but I, I mean I looked at the list and I think. My second Italian film, Zombie Holocaust, didn't actually feature on that list, which is uh, uh, a little bit of a disappointment. <laughs> uh, Contamination did, though, didn't it? Which was the film yeah. we did with but, Luigi Cosi. To, to ban that was even more stupid. I mean, that, that, that's just because of exploding bodies, and uh, it, you know that, that just seemed to be one of the sort of silliest decisions that they sort of made. Yeah. You, you say, I mean, I've, I have met at conventions. I met two people who said they were prosecuted. Um, um, because they were showing or selling those zombie flesh eaters. Mm. Um, and one was fined, I don't know how much, and the other one said that the judge insisted on seeing it, and having seen it, decided that it wasn't a nasty and refused to find him. I mean, whether that was his, you know, the truth or just his story, I'm not sure. Um, but I say, I, I've, I've met I say, two people who, who claim to have been affected that way. Well, there's, I mean, there are stories about people, not for zombie flesh eaters, but for, for other video nasties. Uh, I think there was actually a producer who got 18 months imprisonment for... <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those things at the time when they thought the you know, British public had to be protected from such gory epics. Yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about survivors, because obviously... Starburst readers uh, will know you from that series. We're talking about the original Survivors uh, from the BBC series from the early seventies. Uh, I mean, a lot of readers will know that you were you acted as uh, Greg Preston in it, but you also wrote some episodes, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did three. I wrote uh, one in the second series and two in the third series. Um, I had found that I, I thought the scripts were sort of getting poorer and poorer with when Terry Nation, the, the device it left. And um, as part of my argument about having poor scripts, I said I could write better. So the producer, Terry, he said, all right, well, you write the script. Um, if I like it, I'll buy it. And if I don't, you, you know, just wait. So that was in the second series. And then I left the series uh, 
at the end of that. Um, and then I got a phone call from him saying, would I write one episode in which I could be the only actor, I could direct it, edit it, do everything, as long as I died in it, um, he'd be happy to commission me to do it. So uh, I wrote my so-called death episode. Yeah. And then I wrote uh, another episode for Lucy Fleming and played my wife. Well, when we look back on Survivors now, in terms of the, the kind of historical context of it, we're talking about the kind of early to mid-1970s, and we're talking about the three-day week and the power cuts and the kind of movement towards self-sufficiency. It seems very much of its time and, and, and kind of reflects what was going on in British society quite, quite, quite clearly. Did you have a kind of any sense of that while you were writing and uh, making those episodes? Um, not really. I mean, I, I personally don't think that that was in, a, in Terry Nation's sort of mind when, when he wrote. I mean, he wrote an adventure series, which yeah. didn't really have anything to do with what you've just said. However, the self-sufficiency line was, was something that he was very, very keen on and was always recommending various books for us to read as, 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 you know, as part of our research. The political bit, the three-day week stuff, um, again, that sort of didn't come into it at all. Um, and I have to say, I mean, I was asked at a convention, um, someone said, did, how did Fulci's political um, convictions affect his uh, directing in Zombie Flesh Eaters? <laughs> Absolutely floored me because yeah. I mean, they, they didn't appear at all. And uh, someone also I did a, a talk for the a DVD release of uh, Warriors of the Deep, the Doctor Who I was in, and yeah. I was actually asked exactly the same question. I mean, the first question was was, was about you know strikes and Margaret Thatcher, and nothing whatsoever really to do with Doctor Who. So I mean, I say that you know looking after yourself and living off the land was always sort of prominent in our thoughts, but um, any other sort of political sort of sidelines and things that never really came into conversation. Well, let's talk a little bit about working with Fulci. Um, um, Zombie Flesh Eaters, it looked as though you were um, in two or three different locations. D did you shoot in New York and also, um, was it San Domingo? Uh, no, but the, 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 the first the week's shooting, or 10 days, was uh, in New York. Uh, and we then moved from there to the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And we were in the Dominican Republic, I think, uh, for two to three weeks. Uh, and then the unit uh, flew off back to Italy, and we filmed at a small seaside resort called Latina, which is on the west coast of uh, Italy. Um, um, and uh, they chose that because it's, it's, it looks pretty tropical. And uh, if you've ever seen the film Cleopatra, yeah. Um, that's where they did most of the location work for that because it's it's on the sort of Pontine marshes, which had been drained before the war by sort of Mussolini's sort of government. But they, it's full of sort of palm trees and sort of big wide canals. Uh, I mean, uh, a, a really lovely place. So how how did you cope with this sort of multilingual aspect of it? Uh, because. The Italians are very are famous for filming without sound, aren't they, and dubbing afterwards. And you've got various different nationalities in the cast, all speaking presumably their sort of native tongues. How, how did that work? Well, 
I mean, I only, well, I speak a bit of French and a bit of German, but I, I don't speak any Italian at all. So um, you just pick up, you know, one or two words like, you know, that something's a rehearsal or action or whatever, because they, they tend to be universal. Uh, with, with regard to sort of talking to them, and Fulci's um, English wasn't brilliant. Um, and most of the crew didn't really sort of speak English, but I mean, you know, there's, there's enough sort of you know pidgin English and, and sort of common words that sort of get by. I mean, especially there's not really much you can say when you're on a sort of film set when you're talking to the crew. You just want to know that you're in the right place and you're looking in the right direction, and um, you know, and your makeup's fine. Well, what was Fulci like to work with? Because there's rumours that he was could be a bit of a brute. Um. Well, I mean, I think he could, but he, I think because I was A, British, and B, primarily a sort of theatre actor, and um, what he's probably termed a professional actor, he treated me and uh, Richard Johnson, who was uh, a much more sort of senior and successful stage actor than, than I was, with, uh, he treated both of us with sort of you know, total respect. He um, he more or less, you know, as, as long as we were saying the lines that were in the script, he was absolutely happy with whatever we did. Um, he had a sort of reputation as a, as a martinet, but I think he sort of shouted at people at the beginning of the film just to let them know that he was there, and he wanted them to sort of jump when he said jump. Um, and he did have, a, uh, I mean, I think uh, a habit he sort of shares with some other directors of sort of finding a whipping boy or a whipping girl, someone who he thinks isn't pulling their weight. I mean, it can be an actor, it can be a member of the crew who he sort of has a go at, just as let off steam in a sort of way. And and he he found his whipping girl, in in this case, in Aretha Gay, and he, um, to whom he, I mean, he wasn't very, very kind. Uh, and there was sort of quite a bit of shouting. But in his defense, I think Aretha wasn't an actress. A professional actress, and I think he may have felt that he had to either, you know, use a carrot or a stick approach to get the very best results out of her. And I think he probably tried the carrot at first, um, and because that didn't work, he then resorted to the, the sort of stick. Uh, I mean, not literally, but uh, I mean, he he was sort of rather rough, uh, sort of vocally with her. Um, but I think, you know, the end justifies the means, I think. I mean, I don't think she was too upset. But I think we were probably more upset on her behalf. But, you know, the end product was, I think, that she she turns in a pretty decent performance at the end, as, as well as looking, you know, ravishingly beautiful. Well, I agree. I think she does put in a, a nice performance in the film. It's a shame she didn't really go on to do very much more. I think she maybe had one of the credit after Zombie, but uh, after that she just seemed to drop off the radar completely. Well, I'd say, I mean, I, I go to quite a cute few conventions sort of here in the States, and uh, Aretta doesn't feature any of those, and, uh, and neither does Tisa. Tisa Farrow um, doesn't attend any of them either. So how did you go then to working on the other films that you made, the other Italian, I think it's possibly Italian-German co-productions, were they um, Zombie Holocaust and Contamination? Yeah, well, um, Zombie Holocaust producer was the associate producer of uh, Zombie, Flesh Eaters, uh, Fabrizio De Angelis. Um, and I think that 
they all knew that before the camera even turned on zombie flesh eaters, that they, it was in profit. I mean, they pre-sold it, I think, all over the world, apart, I think, from America. And they knew that they were going to make most of their money by sort of selling to America. Um, so, I mean, they were in profit. And uh, I think the Vizio, you know, saw here was another sort of cash cow, really, and sort of, you know, in, but in film terms. So they concocted a script, you know, must have taken them all of two hours to write, uh, <laughs> pushed it together. Um, I was, I think, just finishing off Zombie Flesh Eaters, and um, I was sort of, I think I almost did it sort of back to back. I mean, they almost overlapped. Um, and I sort of finished one film, went straight back to the other. Um, I was called Peter in both the films. Uh, <laughs> we had the same locations, the, the, the same buildings that were used. Um, the dialogue was slightly different. Uh, but it, it was fun to do, I've actually, although I've never seen it. I mean, I've got a copy of it that I've never seen. I, I actually enjoyed making that one more than I enjoyed the first one. And then you went on to work with Luigi Cosi, didn't you? Who's Yeah, well, well the, the same sort of thing happened. And almost immediately I finished um, Zombie Holocaust, there was an offer to do what was called in, in Italy Alien Due, because um, it was a sort of copy, sort of, of, of the American Alien. Um, but eventually called Contaminazione. Uh, and again, that, that, that followed almost, almost immediately. Um, uh, and again, had just wonderful locations. I went off to New York, I went off to Colombia and South America, um, and quite a lot of uh, studio work in, in Rome itself. Um, and I think that was about a two-month shoot. Uh, and again, and just the fun to do because of the places I went to. And what are your memories of Luigi Cosi? Because he's quite a little-known character, really, within the, the Italian film industry. He's done two or three things, but known known not very much apart from being a an associate of Argento. Uh, well, he, did he not have a success with a film called Starburst or Star? Yes, or... Star Crash. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think I think he's done quite a lot of movies. But with all of these people, I mean, you you. You think they've just done, you know, one thing or two things, but rather like Fulci. I, mean, I didn't know what Fulci had done until actually after he died, and then I thought I ought to look at his CV, and his, you know, his CV is full of work, and you know, he trained with the the greats of the Italian post-war cinema, um, and he, you know, he just a masses of film of every type of film, and you know, fortunately, or unfortunately for him, got sort of stuck at the end of doing, you know, zombies and, and more zombies. Mm. Um, I think Cozzi, um, Luigi is the same. But he's he's a he's a lovely man. I mean, it really you couldn't meet a nicer chap. He really is a little sort of teddy bear of a little folk. Um, and I think he was rather stymied. I think he had sort of greater and grander and better ideas for his film. But um, I think he was rather stymied by what the producer wanted and or didn't want in the way of sort of script cast. Um, and sort of spending money on sort of extra items to make it look a bit more convincing. So, so can you tell us a little bit about what the what what's coming up for you now in terms of any further promotion for the zombie flesh eaters? Um, well, I've done in the past couple of days. I've done about sort of twenty interviews, I suppose, last week and this with um, various sort of journalists and sort of blogs and things. Um, it comes out at the beginning of December, I think. Um, and 
all, all I've done myself is, I mean, I arranged a showing of it at my local, on, in aid of my local golf club. And that was mainly the senior section that came to see it uh, at a local community centre. And uh, well, I feared the worst. I mean, these were all seniors with their wives. <laughs> yeah. or, all probably over 60. Yeah. And I thought, all as I was sipping my coffee in the room next door, the door between was going to be opening and closing constantly as they exited. Um, but in fact, I mean, no one left. I mean, everyone sat through it. Um, uh, there was no commotion, no screaming, no panicking. The only person that left was one gent who had to go to the loo, uh, and that got the biggest laugh of the evening. But um, but th I think they enjoyed it. It wasn't like I mean I saw I saw a film in a I saw the proper cinema um, at Edinburgh in Edinburgh at the Dead by Dawn horror film festival. Yeah. And I mean and that was amazing because I mean they laughed. They cheered, they joined in, they knew the dialogue. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I thought I was seeing a different film. I thought, I thought I'd been in a different film. I just, I mean, I, I was, again, waiting outside because I didn't want to see it. And then, I mean, I thought perhaps they weren't watching the right film with all the reactions. Um, but I say, it, it worked that day in Edinburgh, and it worked, you know, only two weeks ago, you know, up here in the southwest of Scotland. You know, with a bunch of sort of elderly folk who, you know, thought would find it absolutely ghastly and want to leave as soon as possible. Well, that's fantastic. That's such a lovely story. And and, and I'm just glad that they weren't calling for Mary Whitehouse to come back. <laughs> no, no. OK, well, Ian, thank you very much for the interview. It's, it's really good to talk to you and to hear your memories of, of these films. Um, this will be going out as a podcast for... Um, a kind of radio show for Starburst magazine which has uh, um, been running for quite a number of years and sort of followed it's, well it's followed um, Lucio Fulci's career um, since 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 um, Zombie Flesh Eaters came out so it's quite a special occasion really that this film's being re-released well it's Special occasion, and it's and it's just really sad that you know someone who, who put so much into I mean this film and others isn't around to enjoy it. And uh, what I have to say about him, apart from the body of work that he sort of left behind, is that at one convention I was surrounded by about twelve people who worked with him, and the interviewer said, "You know, what's your recollection of Lucio Fulci?" And they all, without exception, said nice things. They said that he was courteous, that he was well-mannered, that he was civilized, that he was considerate, you know, that he, he, he couldn't, to them, working on set, he just could not have been a nicer director. Um, and I say, apart from the end product of actually watching the film, to, to hear, although 12 people, male and female, uh, say those things about him, all of them, not one person said one uncomplimentary thing about him, I, I thought was a great sort of compliment to him, and, and a pity that you know, he wasn't around to hear it. The restored and remastered Zombie Flesh Eaters is released by Arrow Video on DVD and Blu-ray on December 3rd. Friday Night Frights. Well, that's it for tonight's Friday Night Frights. But don't forget you can reach me via the Starburst website or on Twitter at Starburst underscore mag. Until next time, stay, stay scared. scared. You're right. You're right.